You're listening to Goodfellas Minute 144. I know I'd go from rags to riches If you would only say you care Hello and welcome to Goodfellas Minute, the only podcast that analyzes the Martin Scorsese picture Goodfellas one list of assistants, minute at a time. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Ron Richards. Yo. And Connor Kilpatrick. How you doing? I don't know how we did this without assistance. It's <laughs> a Fox. very good point. It's a very yeah. good point. <laughs> so this one starts with ADR editor Gail Showalter, who, by the way, if you are the ADR editor on this, oh, you geez. needed a special. You needed a special award yes. because that is Carbone that alone. Is yeah, uh, and it ends with uh, I will follow him. Parentheses chariot. Yep. <laughs> I don't know what that means. That's a great um, song. We talked about which, we we I talked know, about I, that song. I you know, don't remember? I, what's the chariot part mean? That's the original name of the song. Oh, okay. The song was originally called Chariot. It was a French song or whatever. And, right, right, right. And, yeah. So, yep. That's twice then. My way. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Do people know what ADR is? Is that a thing that people know? Automatic dialogue replacement? Tell people. Automated. What's the A stand for? Is it autom I always thought it was that, but now I don't know. If the if the, if the line was garbled or carboned, then they go in and record the lines again. They dub the lines. It's automated. Yeah. Loop. They loop them. Automated dialogue replacement. Yeah, yeah. looping, yeah. re-recording, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which I assume, I mean, a lot of the sound in this is going to be diegetic, but I assume there's going to be some things they had to put in for, clar- for clarity, although... Listen, listen to Aristotle over here, diegetic. I love that term. Diegetic sound versus non-diegetic sound. Diegetic means it actually is the thing that's happening on screen, and non-diegetic means that the characters and everything don't hear it. So like music from the soundtrack or something, they don't usually hear, unless you're talking about American Graffiti, where most of that soundtrack was diegetic. Hey, Connor, who brought the egghead? (laughs) (laughs) We know what your mob nickname is. (laughs) I'm fine with that. So we got ADR. Going on to the next screen of credits, uh, we see that Alona Herman... Was responsible Alona. for Mr. De Niro's makeup and hair. Hmm. So okay. remember how we were commenting on how Jimmy's hair slowly turned gray and then it had the little thing, whatever? Oh, Alona Al- Al- Herman. Al- Alona Herman. Huh. Good job, Alona. I had mentioned some uh, some nepotism before. Yes. Uh, joining the art department, painting by Susan Pileggi. Well, yeah, we talked about that. Only credit. Also, yeah. some so I don't know if this is nepotism, and I didn't do the research, and maybe somebody can do it for me. Listed under craft service uh-huh. is Robert Lee Whitlock. I don't think so. You don't think so? <laughs> I don't think so. Because <laughs> Isaiah Whitlock Jr. would have been pretty young here, and also no no clout. No clout. He's not going yeah. to be, you know, be able to shove in a cousin there. All right. You never know. All right. I want to talk about some of the assistants. Okay. Okay. Because I myself was an assistant. I wanted to know if the people who are listed, because you could like, you could get an assistant job to a celebrity pretty, you know, like that was a thing that people would do and they could be really awful jobs. And so I wanted to know if that was a stepping stone for any of these people. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So they list at least four assistants. Right? Yeah. So Scorsese's assistant, Julia Judge, was his assistant through 1991, Cape Fear, and then did nothing for nine years. And then was listed as a creative consultant on just four films after that. But never a producer, was never, and that was sort of in the mid-2000s and then dropped off. Hmm. I would like to note that yesterday when we were talking about Martin Scorsese pictures, we forgot Cape Fear, which I think is a, a wonderful We did not. I said I liked it. Oh, I missed that then. Fair enough. All right, moving along. Irving Winkler's assistant, his New York assistant, Dermot Conley, 
Nothing. He's a PA on two movies. He was an assistant to Winkler on this and I think another movie again. And he was assistant to Val Kilmer on The Doors. And that's it. This is like a sad story of Hollywood chewing up people and spitting them out. This is really normal. This is why this is interesting. Listen to this. Assistant to De Niro on this, Robin Chambers, was his assistant from 1989 to 2002. 13-year gig with that. This is different than the woman who has the public access show in New York City, right? Yeah, it's Robin Bird. Okay, thank you. All right, sorry. (laughs) It's also different than the one who's on the Howard Stern show. These are just women named Robin. (laughs) Wait a minute. Also not Batman's sidekick. I was just going to say, was she the one who went around with Batman? And the... <laughs> so that's a 13-year stint as his assistant, which leads me to believe that he probably took really good care of his assistant mm-hmm. yeah. and made it a job that you'd want to stick around. And I would go so far as to say probably treated her like family. There's all these stories about De Niro helping pull out. Yeah. Get into this, and I, I really like that. That speaks well to him as far as I'm concerned. Right. Given the opportunity to be Robert De Niro's assistant, would you have taken it? I think that what you've seen from that, though, is you'd have to say, like, you have to be the kind of person who isn't terribly ambitious and want to move up. You just want to be around it. That sounds like you. No, it is not like me. Not an assistant, but also in this minute is DGA trainee Susan E. Fior. And so what this means is that if you want to get into the Directors Guild, you, you serve some time as a trainee, which is sort of like an apprentice. And it turns out that after her print, her uh, trainee on this and one other movie, I'm trying to pull it up, she worked in a long career as an AD and a second AD. Um, and she's actually still working to, nice. to this day. She's done a ton of stuff. Yeah, she's working like as recently as second assistant on 32 films. Most recently, she's a Longmire, second assistant director hmm. on the TV show. Did Scary Movie, did Joe Dirt. Lots of things, but like those are all good, solid working jobs in the industry. The second AD, all I know is that in my time in working in television, the AD or the second AD were the scariest people because they were the ones who had to make it sure everybody. Yeah, they're, they're the drill sergeants. They make sure everybody. Yeah, they, they made everybody be where they were on time in the place. And I specifically remember working on a shitty game show, but like having stress dreams about the AD being mad at me. Right. And so whenever I hear that, it's, like, it's a little bit of a trigger warning. But, but she, uh, she trained on this and then went on to have a long career. Very interesting. The only other comment I have about the credits um, as, we, advisor? as we go through the crew is that I went through the credits looking for a specific role that was not listed. And the closest that it came to was our friend Robert Lee Whitlock on Craft Service. But there was no mention of catering at all. It was, wasn't, it, wasn't it his mother? Uh, yeah, that's the story and stuff like that. But there was no proper credit given to it. There was no mention of that's, food. Well, for craft services. That's yeah. what craft service does. That's that's inclusive. Uh, they're catering. Cooking the food on screen, that's a different thing. That's almost that's an art department everything, but that's what Also is. just yeah, cooking because yeah. you want to is his yeah. his mother. But craft services is right. catering. Right. Yep. I also do you think that De Niro had his own makeup and hair person? Like was that a deal point? Or what, I feel like make- I almost made this note and then didn't. Is is his <laughs> hairstylist was that he's like, I've gotta have Alona. I've gotta have Alona Herman gotta have it. do my hair. I gotta have it. I gotta have it. I gotta have it. Well, that's the answer. Yeah. Um, She on other films. Interestingly enough, her other work, Alona Herman. uh, ULs? I L O N A Herman. Alona Herman. She has had a a long career 
as a makeup artist. She was De Niro's makeup and hair artist for the first time on Goodfellas. And then after that, Awakenings, Backdraft, Cape Fear, Mistress, Night in the City, Mad Dog and Glory, This Boy's Life, all for De Niro. She was the hair consultant for Robert De Niro on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. <laughs> it sounds That sounds like a contract thing. Yeah. Then she That's did Casino, Heat, The Fan, Sleepers, Marvin's Room, Copland, Wag the Dog, Jackie Brown, Great Expectations. It's not until 1998 that she hairstyles for anyone other than De Niro, where she's the makeup artist on Les Miserables for Ms. Uma Thurman. Did you see the other person who shows up a lot? Uh, no, no, it's all De Niro. It's literally... No. She does makeup for Sean Connery in a ton of movies. There's a little crossover there at the beginning. Little she moves from Connery to De Niro, it appears. And now she's moved... So then, she her last film with De Niro was Hide and Seek in 2005, when she switched over to none other than Mr. Nicolas Cage. Whoa. And she was the, she was the makeup and hairstylist on The Wicker Man, both Ghost Rider movies, Kick-Ass... <laughs> King of the Wicker People. See, in my in my mind, I was thank you. In my mind, I was thinking that <laughs> I'm gonna try to move on. In my mind, I was thinking that in 2005 she went. I'm sorry, you're just not doing the kind of work I can be proud of anymore. But then she went to work for Nick Cage, so I guess that's not the case. What yeah. the hell was Hide and Seek? Hide and Seek was Hide and Seek was 2005, uh, directed by John Paulson, starring Robert De Niro, Dakota Fanning, Famke Jansen. A widower tries to piece together his life in the wake of his wife's suicide. His daughter finds solace at first in her imaginary friend. A 5.9 rated mid 2000s uh, De Niro movie. That's what it was. Never even heard of it. No, not even. No, well, it doesn't seem like there was a reason to. So I think that what we've seen here is that she was either hired on Goodfellas for him, whether he did it or not is is suspect. But after that, he said, I like your stuff so much. He brought her along for everything, giving further credence to the to the idea, uh, as we've also seen with his as his assistant that you, he wants you to be part of the family. He's going to he's going to bring you along for all that stuff if once you're in, once you're in, which I like. Alona Alona Herman. Alona Herman. So that said though, it really makes you wonder who's doing his hair now. And going to our favorite current Robert De Niro movie, The Intern, released in 2015, hairstylist for Mr. De Niro is listed as Jerry Popolis. Hmm. Jerry, Jerry Popolis. Popolis, who in sure enough <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Has been he's the hairstylist for Robert De Niro in Dirty Grandpa, The Intern, The Bagman, Grudge Match, The Family, Killing Seasons, Silver Linings Playbook. <laughs> he kind of got the short end of the stick on the legacy meter there. Yeah, yeah. So he, at some point he switched over. So there you go. All right, sorry, we went deep on hairstyling. What happened? <laughs> was it her? Was it him? <laughs> Was did was his was he so frustrated that he was on a movie like Hide and Seek that he blew up and she was like I'm not taking this from you anymore. I don't know. I I'm you know what I've got an offer from Nick Cage and I'm going to take it. That's got to be what it is. It's it looks like it's a contract thing, like you were saying. Like it's a it's like listen, you're with me now. Yeah, that's normal. Most stars get to choose their own hair and makeup people. And then they're going to want to go with somebody they're comfortable with. Then yeah, someone's going to make them look good. Yeah. They got to sit there with them in a chair for sometimes hours a day. You know, it's. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's normal. Like, ima- like imagine like every time you had to get a haircut, it's with a new person, and you right. got to make the small talk and whatever. Like, you don't want that. You're that's De Niro. a good point. You know, I, I have, I have had the same hairstylist for the past six years. So. I thought but you were going to say for the past thirty-five have... years. Well, no. I mean, I moved to San Francisco. I had to find somebody new. You didn't make the move with you. No. 
<laughs> you thought, you know, you've gotten a bad haircut. You get a bad haircut and you're Robert De Niro and people are talking about it forever. Right. And also because it's in the movie. Production is delayed. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, all right, cool. That's all I got on the credits. Alona Herman. Let's uh, talk about our <laughs> memories of the movie. <laughs> we can, we put it off till the end of the movie. We said we can't talk about our history with the movie. Josh, why don't you lead us off? I feel like I've told this, but I specifically remember seeing this movie for the first time. I wasn't really aware of it. I feel like when I was this age, I wasn't really paying attention to movies that came out that weren't like 80s comedies. Like, that's what I liked at that point. And like, I remember being really excited that Short Circuit was going to come out, but I don't remember this being a thing. So that would have been... Short circuit, was, short circuit was like 1987, dude. It's three years before this. Same just, era. It's just a movie. Yeah. Right. That's the kind of thing I liked then, is my point. Johnny and this five, movie, five. I remember... <laughs> Benjamin Yabatulia. I could have quoted that whole movie to you. <laughs> short circuit minute. Hold on. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I can just imagine saying that. Right. This does not hold up. Wow, this is racist. This was a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> well, the fact that... The that it's Fisher Stevens playing that character, an Indian in brown character. face. Yeah, I did not know that he was not a brown man. Yes, I, it's shocking. It's shock. Once yeah. you find that out, it changes that entire movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. Fisher anyway, Stevens was, was that the last instance of culturally okay brown face? I doubt it. <laughs> Let's I ask doubt Google it. what was the last <laughs> instance of culturally okay. Brown face. Very little beats Sean Connery in You Only Live Twice for me when they the make last... him into a Japanese man. So the first Google search result for the search of what was the last instance of culturally okay brown face was K-pop's top 10 racist moments of 2013. All right, let's <laughs> move go on. Ahead and go back to my story. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I did not have premium cable when I was a, when I was a boy, but I had a TV in my room with like the basic cable, and you know how every once in a while they would do... I feel like you guys both always had HBO forever, but they would do the the free HBO weekend mm-hmm. where they would they would open up the premium channels and you had everything. And I was thirteen, you so saw, and you saw everything. I was you just waiting everything. for nudity, really. But um, and I remember it was like a Sunday night, and I was supposed to be you know going to school the next day, and at nine or ten or something like that, this Goodfellas movie started. And I didn't know what it was, and I was riveted. The whole way through, I ended up staying up, you know, way too late until, you know, just past midnight or whatever it would have been. And it was the first drama. It was like the first non-comedy movie that that blew me away. Like right away, I remember that being. And so this would have been this would have been after it was released. So probably a, a couple of years ago on HBO. So I would say I was like 15 or so. And I don't remember talking about it with anybody or knowing anybody who liked that movie until like, you know, I got to college and I met you guys and people like you were like, oh, this is like one of those movies that people like. You know, and, and starting to watch it more, but but I totally listed as the first movie that was a mo- was cinema. Like like, oh, that's that's what a movie is. That's that's what it feels like to watch something and be like, oh, that's really something special that sticks with you and and sort of you know blows your mind in that way. That was the movie that blew my mind. And in a way, I can say that's the thing that turned me into a guy who who really loved and appreciated cinema. You know, watching it on this tiny, I probably had a thirteen inch TV, you know, like uh, in my room. Uh, as a kid, but it, it, I remember. I, I, I can picture sort of sitting there by myself and just being wrapped. Yeah, that's my experience with it. So it wasn't like a theater or anything. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not really in the age group for that. Yeah, we wouldn't have yeah. been let in. We shouldn't have been. Well, yeah. In New York, you can. I know. I, I definitely didn't see Goodfellas in the theaters. I saw a Casino in the theaters, but 
I don't remember the first time I saw Goodfellas. It would have been in that nebulous high school teenage time. So I couldn't tell you. It would have been probably something that was rented or seen on HBO. Either way, it would have been cropped horribly. All the TVs were 4.3 back then. So right, yeah. that's what I mean. Either way, it was not yeah. seen as it was meant to be seen. Right. So I don't have a story about the first time or how to influence me. I just know that it was around, especially as a person growing up in New York City. These are the, sort of the New York movies that you watch. And so that to the point that when Casino came out, which I believe it was like Thanksgiving or Christmas or one of those holidays, we went to see it you know, on that day, on the holiday, which is not the movie you want to see on Thanksgiving, if that's what it was, but... Um, right. I don't have I don't have a first story for it, and I don't think I really, really totally appreciated it until college. Even though we, you know, we all saw it, and I don't think I, you know, you're not really able to totally appreciate more adult, more mature stuff. I think until you're old, old enough to. Well, that explains your uh, feelings on Dances with the Fucking Wolves. Oh Jesus Christ! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Listen to yourself. So I remember, I specifically remember the first time I saw it. I was in high school. Um, it had to have been either sophomore year or junior year. I, I couldn't tell you which. And my group of friends, we had moved out of the let's watch Better Off Dead over and over again stage. Wait, you leave that stage? Well, well, no, but we we had kind of, we evolved. Like we'd watched a lot of Better Off Dead. We watched a this, lot of Breakfast Club. We watched a lot of those movies. Well, but you then, evolved from Better Off Dead to One Crazy Summer. I mean, that's not... Right, yeah, of course. It's natural. But oh. um, but then what really? happened, a, a couple of things happened. One was that me and another one of my friends, my friend John, our high school, basically what happened was in high school, you, in ninth grade, you took, quote unquote, art. And then in 10th grade, you had to choose a track uh, within art. And so you could go sculpture, or you could go painting, or you could go photography, or you can go video and film. Connor, just before you go, Connor, I want you to picture Ron in a sculpting class. <laughs> Carry on with your story. What the fuck is this? Anyway, so obviously I chose film and video because I sucked at everything else and whatever. And so my friend John and I were in the same art track for video. And we had this we had a great teacher, this guy, Robert Mondanaro, who was a Freddie Mercury-esque mustache partied at studio 54 grace jones or so he told us you know, like that kind of new york city had kind of you know chewed him up and spit him out now he's teaching film at, at, a, at a high school in long island but he, okay. he was honestly one of the best one of the best teachers i had to this day i mean he he really did taught us a lot how much did he teach about cocaine at studio 54 well, we, I didn't know, but, but, but well enough to ask. Yeah, ask hands, that's, but, yeah exactly. <laughs> he, but um, he seems to always have a cold. Alleged, attempted. The greatest thing was senior year. I had we had him because the great he was our teacher all three years. And senior year, the the section we were in was the first class of the day. It started at like eight oh five, and I'll never forget. Like at least once a week, I would walk into class. And he'd take out a ten dollar bill and say, "Go to Dunkin' Donuts." And so I'd go to Dunkin' Donuts and come back with donuts. And so he was cool. Anyway, but well, schools don't do that anymore. Because yeah, no, they do film open, classes. Open campus, we could come and go as we pleased. It was yeah, it was it was a different time. So because of this class, John and I were getting into more quote unquote film and movies and things like that. And another one of our friends, a girl, Carrie, she had she worked at the video store in town. 
So oh, you gotta have a video store, friend. Yeah. Well, not only a video store, but someone who worked at the video store. So we had right. a combination. We had a combination of a desire to watch other movies as well as access to any movie we wanted. At least that was at the video store. And so we hit a phase of like I remember like we went to somebody's house. We went to our friend Annie's house and we watched Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross at like you know at like great. fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It was fantastic. We wa- I remember renting Slacker. And like, yeah, I heard about this. We should, you know, like, you know, like, so, so we're trying to, and the thing was, we, it was before our, you know, uh, comprehension of those kind of movies. We were, we were just kids trying to, you know, like I was reading magazines and stuff, trying to like, you know, get an understanding of what is, you know, what is film and, and all this sort of stuff. We'd watch anything we could. And I'll never forget, we rented Goodfellas. We went to Carrie's house. We went into her, the basement of her parents' house, which was the classic Long Island wood paneled basement with like the reject couches that were like in the, you know, that, that, that were, were banished down to the basement and a, a, a not so great TV and not so great VCR. And I, we watched Goodfellas there. And I'll, I'll, I, I will, I can never forget the opening credits, the, uh, the drive by opening credits. And that's, you know, that sort of deal. So I remember it very vividly and then immediately loving it. And then, like a year or two later, buying the paperback of Wise Guy, or I might have taken the book from the library, and reading Wise Guy, like right around like senior year or like for freshman year of college, and that's when I mentioned it to my dad. Oh, I'm reading Wise Guy, and and my dad says, "Give me that." Looked at the book, and he's like, "Oh, I remember that place. I remember that place. I remember that place." And started pointing out places in the book to where my dad grew up in Queens, and so then it became very real, and that's when the obsession started. Hmm. So there you go. There you go. All right. That was our first experience with Goodfellas. Alona Herman. Have we watched I mean, it together? Have we been talking about this? Yes. We've, we must have. have. we watched this movie together? No. no I think we, we have. During, no. Not we even watched. like, we. you didn't think we put it on during one of the Warcraft weekends? No. 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 <laughs> I like how you paused before you said it. Before you admitted it. <laughs> I didn't. I was like, is this a thing I want? It's too late. It's out. Okay. No. No, no, <laughs> really? no. No, those are Ron funny. and I would lean towards Lord of the Rings and Star Wars for those movies. Those yeah, movies. yeah, we put in. We I had that five. I had that five DVD a, changer. There was a weekend long time though, where like maybe when we ate. I don't think we ever have. I don't I mean, think we have. To be honest, no, with I don't think, think we've ever watched have. this movie together. And we never will. And, and we no, we won't because it would be stupid. Right. Because <laughs> none of us would have to pay attention to it. Like we wouldn't be able to. We'd be like, Shane, well, we know that. Shane. <laughs> we we could watch Shane together if you want. <laughs> Shane minute. All right, so let's knock out a couple of the emails. Most of these are observations, so they go quick. Dan C. writes in to say, just to let you know, the era of airport graft ended around 1970. By that point, most freightliners had switched over to containerized shipping. Once everything was containerized, it was all trackable, and you couldn't just lose an entire load. Barcodes. Wow. Barcodes. That's funny, because I would like whoever, who, who wrote that in? Dan C. He says, I do a whole lecture on this for my economic globalization class. That's great. Dan C., I want you to email me and call me, and I'll introduce you to the to the post office in San Francisco, and you can tell me where my goddamn package is. You still haven't gotten it? I still haven't gotten it. Oh, Jesus. You, you're not going to get it. I literally, literally on the phone with the postmaster's office this morning. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to take it all the way to D.C. Postmaster General. Allison <laughs> writes and says, Ron laughs at everything like he's stoned out of his mind. <laughs> not... <laughs> Is that, a, is that an observation? That's an observation. All right, and well, then, I'll let can, people in on can, a secret. Okay. I write all of my jokes for <laughs> Ron. <laughs> I've known Ron for nearly 20 years, and I know that a show will be more entertaining to us and to listeners the more he's laughing. So I don't write jokes for Connor. 
<laughs> I don't write jokes for me. I don't jokes write for people at home. I write things that are going to make Ron laugh. <laughs> and it's working. <laughs> well done. And can you all? Can we also attest to my the the, the status of my drug use? It's rampant. <laughs> Alleged. Allegedly. No, uh, attempted. Attempted. Definitely, definitely not stoned. Definitely. definitely. Not stoned. Even, even though I live in San Francisco, I strictly am drug free. Possibly so. drunk. He didn't start drinking until his mid thirties. <laughs> not. All right. So, if you guys recall, there was a, a minute earlier this year in which there was a hair in the gate. You recall? Yes. That? So yes. Peter W. writes in to say, I've got the 25th anniversary Blu-ray, and I can confirm that the hair in the gate has been removed. Wow! To make sure I compared it to my original DVD, which has it. No way! Maybe Scorsese thought, I can't have it! I can't have it. I just can't have it. Can't have it. Can't have it. Can't have it. I feel like Lucas brought it up to him. Uh, Martin, um, we can take we can take that out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I want to take it out. I'm, 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 I think I want to leave it there. I already took it out. <laughs> what do you mean? How do you take it out? No, 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 it's... There's a question. Do you think the studio did it and didn't even tell him? No. At what point? No. The this... PR nightmare from that would be horrible. Right. Does Marty know? Does Marty even know it's out? Yes. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think he knows. Okay. I, because I think he knew. Like, if it's a thing like that and you're the director, and, and I, I mean, we went over this, whether he, whether he's super fastidious about everything that happens in, in an edit, but I think they made the choice to use that shot because that was the best shot and he wanted to be so he knew it was there and that yeah. he probably remembered that's my guess like he, he'd remember there's no way they're gonna monkey with a film of this stature without the director's input yeah. it could be a, 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 a smaller film maybe but yeah but this one with a premiered you know auteur director no yeah. they wouldn't risk right. him never working for them again okay final question oh, this one might be for you Ron final email final email for this one Joe C says in minute 67 you mentioned that Janice was having dinner at a steak place in Rockville Center, and the book wise guy was Linda. Any chance that Frank's Steaks, I'm just wondering because it's possibly the oldest steakhouse in town. Ron, was Janice eating at Frank's Steaks in Rockville Center in minute 67? That's, I, how, how the fuck would I know? <laughs> hang on, hang Frank? on. Uh, uh, Frank's Steaks. The only reference I have is wise guy. And it's just referred to as a steak plate, you know, like it's not it, it, it's not called by name. All right. Steaks and lobsters were the best. Shrimp. Shrimp. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, what was the name of it? Frank's Steaks. Frank's Steaks. It is not Frank's Steaks. Oh. In the book, in the book, it's Michael's Steak Pub in Rockville Center. Huh. So there you go. He 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 he, he specifies. He said he says that I first met Linda by accident. It was late 1969. She and her girlfriend, Vera Lynn, were having dinner in Michael's Steak Pub in Rockville Center. And so that's a question as to if Michael's Steak Pub is still around. And if it will be, I'd be surprised. And it is not. Do you think he and Karen, when they later moved back, ever ate at Frank's Steaks? Probably. If it is as storied as this guy says. I would like to note that I can count on one hand the number of times I've been in Rockville Center. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am by no means an a expert? Rockville Center expert. I will claim to be a Long Island expert. I could tell you how to get to Rockville Center. All I Ro- know about Rockville Center is that it's in this movie, and that I was born in the hospital there, and that is it. Yeah. So, Josh, maybe you're the expert. I'm saying I'm not. I was. Oh. I mean, oh. by all rights, I should be, but I, I haven't followed up on that. I believe it was a Catholic hospital. 
According to Frank Steaks website at FrankSteaks.com, they are the best steaks in town. Well, there you go. I feel like a lot of steak places make that claim. So now let's talk about the guest question. We polled the guests on the show and we asked them questions. This one was, was Jimmy going to have Karen killed when he offered her the Dior dresses? Oh, the most controversial question. That's right. So if you recall, we posted this question on our Twitter page and we never actually told you what the results were for that. The results were 62% of our Twitter followers who voted said, yes, Karen would have been killed. So the majority were wrong. Well, let's get to that. So we polled our guests on the show. Five said yes. One said no. One, said no, one basically said, who knows? Oh. So the question was, was Jimmy going to kill Karen? So most of our guests, the vast majority, said yes. What did Gabe I, say? Gabe says, could be. If we knew that, the scene would not be as great and would not stick with us the way it does. That's, That's a who true. knows. That's the That's who true. knows. Yes. He's not taking anything for the filmmaker there. Here's the thing. I go back to Jimmy doesn't benefit. There's no point in it. All right. Sorry. Just saying. <laughs> he right. benefits. Josh, your final, your final ruling? No. Interesting. No. I say yes. I side with the masses. Wow. Yeah. All right. Jimmy, the point Jimmy was out of his minus rage. <laughs> Just blind rage. Yep. It's a weird setup. It, does, it doesn't work. He couldn't have planned yeah. it that way. Yep. No. I don't think so. Right. Well, there you go. That's the question. All right. Well, that's a lot of stuff. We still and we still got work to do. We still got work to do. You can go the other like I. You could convince me. You know, like I'm not. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility, which is what Gabe was saying. You know, like yeah, good. Might work. It's the mystery that makes it interesting. Well, if you want the commentary from mafia expert David Uslan, he says yes. Jimmy was an Italian and didn't need to follow their rules. Women were okay to rub off, according to Jimmy. Maybe he'd kidnap her to get to Henry, but I think she was going to get clipped regardless. Nah, it's too, it's too easy. It's too obvious. I'm, it's too, I'm not saying he wasn't going to do it, but then, in but, the movie. You know, it's a crime of opportunity. It's too obvious. You're looking for subtlety? Yes. <laughs> from these guys, from Johnny Rose Beef. <laughs> Just calm down, Connor. <laughs> Can't have it. Matter with you. Matter with you. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we, we still got work to do. All right, I guess this is me. I'm, uh, this, these shows are—they don't have any sub. They don't have any form to them. <laughs> ah, so that is going to do for minute one forty-four. You can listen tomorrow for minute one forty-five and change. Can we do the patron names first? Yeah, I guess we can do that. That makes. Sense. <laughs> you know, we do this late at night, don't you? you want to lead this? Lead us into this. <laughs> yeah, sure. So we do the patron thing. You can go to Patreon.com/slash/GFM. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> You still can. It's there. You still can. It's not going anywhere. You do. Yeah. <laughs> At a certain amount, you get a mob name, and we are going through our backlog. So we've got two names for you today. We have to give them up. Connor, go. First one's Mike Yoon. Y-U-N. Mike Yoon. Yun? Yoon? Mike Yoon. Mike Yoon. Nichols. Mikey Nichols? Mike Just Nichols. He's the director. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. Jack Nicholson. Direct- who directed Postcards from the Edge, which came in second that week. Yeah. <laughs> I like Nichols. Just Nichols. Nichols. I think that you just I think you just thought of Mike Nichols and said that. <laughs> Mike Nichols. <laughs> which makes me want to not like I feel like they're not they're not cinephiles in the crew. <laughs> Mike Nichols. Right. Look at Kurosawa over here. Like it's not that's not them. Shane? Shane. <laughs> Shane? 
Mike Shane. Shane? Just call him Shane. Mikey Shane's. I just want to give everybody an animal name. Two guns. Um, Mike. Papers. <laughs> boots. Mikey Boots. Just Boots. Mikey Boots. Just Boots. Just Boots. Sounds like you're saying Mike the Boots. Mike Boots. Mike Boots. boots. Mike, Mike Boots. I like Mike Boots. I like Mike Boots. No, Mikey. Yeah, Mike, Mike boots. boots. Mike Boots? Okay. Mike Boots. So according to Mafia Name Generator, Mike Yun's uh, name would be Major Head Trauma Giuseppe. <laughs> what the... We win. We win that one. Next, Next one is Kim Lind. L-I-N-D-H. Kim yeah. Lind. Is it a... We don't, do we have a way of, is it a man Kim or a lady Kim? We don't know. <laughs> Go either way. I'm going yeah. to do some digging while you... Let's well, Lind. Let's, uh, the Prime Minister. The Lindbergh baby. <laughs> lucky Lindy. Oh! Lucky, lucky. 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 Lucky Lind. Lucky. There we go, lucky. All right. Okay. All right. According to the Mafia name generator, Kim Lind would be Jumpy Carlo Milano. I like jumpy. Like jumpy. I like jumpy a lot. Yeah, yeah. They they lose me at Carlo Milano because it sounds like a cookie. I'm really hungry for a cookie. Focus on the positive. Jumpy is a good name. So. I like cookies. I do like cookies. All right. <laughs> Everybody at tomorrow's shows gets a dessert nickname. <laughs> Everybody at tomorrow's shows gets pillow. Tiramisu. 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 All right. We'll get to that tomorrow. All, All right. right. Now, Josh, you can wrap it up. Now, are we sure? Just tell me if I'm doing it wrong. Tomorrow's 145 and change, which means that we're going to do the last minute in about 14 seconds, which means it's our last episode. Wow. Wow. This is the penultimate episode. There you go. This is the penultimate episode. Elona Herman. So you can go over to Goodfellas (laughs) Men on Twitter, on Instagram or Facebook at Goodfellas Minute. If I were you, I would look up Elona Herman on Twitter. Oh, my God. She might be there. Oh, let's Um, do it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can find all of our 145 episodes in two days you'll be able to find all of our 145 episodes on goodfellasminute.com you can always shop our Amazon link at goodfellasminute.com slash support um, if you have any questions you can email us at contact at goodfellasminute.com and that is going to do it for 144 you, you got anything on, on we come back with Alona she's, Herman information she's, well. she's not as far as I can tell she is not obviously on Twitter I'm really happy about that I didn't want her to be there, so that's fine. Although, in 2003 on Business Wire, there's a press release, renowned Hollywood makeup artist Alona Herman launches revolutionary skincare line. Hmm. She always made me look really good. Nick Cage. It's like Owen Wilson. Or will I go from a rags to return? My fate is up.